Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. The Comic Web sells all the old time radio programs heard on our podcast, as well as comic books and more. Check out our Superman radio podcast, and we have a video podcast of the old movie cliffhanger serials. Go to our website, comicweb.com, for information on how to get them, or type the word Comic Web into iTunes and they'll pop up. Continuing our Halloween theme, we are presenting an episode of Quiet, Please, called Clarissa. It's nothing less than a haunted house story. It first aired on April 19th, 1948. And as an additional treat, or trick, we have a five-minute episode of Incredible But True, right after Quiet, Please. Quiet, Please. Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called Clarissa. No. He was dead before the fire started. I've told you that a dozen times. No, I can't prove it, of course not. You'll just have to believe me. Take my word for it. I can't prove he was dead. You can't prove he wasn't. And anyway, what difference does it make now? I'm sorry. I I can't hear you very well. Yes. Well, all right. It was an old black shell of a house. A house that has lived too long. A house where the floors groaned in pain at night, where the windows shuddered at the gentlest touch of the wind. Where door latches suddenly gave up their grip and let the night come sniffing into the house to paw at your eyes and wake you to the other silences that lay around you. It was never warm there. In the winter, old Heinz kept a fire going in the fireplace in the old sitting room, but the, the logs were scrawny and the draft was bad and and the flames seemed to grudge us their warmth so that we shivered all through the day. We're glad when night came and we could escape to the meager comfort of the drafty bedrooms. And in the summer, there was a dampness about the place. An unhealthy clamminess drifted from the walls and stirred uneasily among the ancient smells of decay that clung to the place. Well, I suppose you could call old... Heinz, a, a character. You said you didn't know him? An immigrant from the Rhineland sometime in the early 70s. Uh, that would make him, uh, let me see, how old? Ich war im Rheinland geboren. In der Jahrzeit 1862. That's right, uh, 1862. He was an old man, but he never appeared old. You might have taken him for a vigorous man of 60. His hair and his scraggly mustache were jet black. I suspect he dyed them regularly. And his blue eyes seemed as keen as those of a boy of 18. And he'd never been away from the house for a single night, he used to say, from the day he bought it and moved into it in 1888. And it was an old house 
then. Yes, I spent some very dreary days and nights in that house. Huh? I couldn't afford a better place to live. No, people don't go to live in a haunted house if they can find another place, you know. And the cold spring rain drenching the window panes. And the murmured 
complaints of the memes and rafters of the old house. The pleasant, musty fumes of the wine I had drunk kept sleep away for a while when I'd blown out the lamp. The melody of that children's song flowed again across my mind as I lay there. My thoughts wandered to the lonely child that dwelt in the haunted house with the old man and the newcomer student. I smiled to myself as I thought. Now that settles the question of the house being haunted, doesn't it? People have heard the little girl singing to herself in the night. They've not known that a little girl lived here too. Well, that's the ghost. And I smiled again at superstitions. And another idle thought struck me. I wondered at the child's age. Ten or twelve years old by the sound of her voice. And somewhere in the back of my drowsy mind, I seem to remember that Heinz had told me Helena, his wife, had died. Well, was it the year of the San Francisco earthquake? Well, that would be 1906. That would be 42 years ago. And this was a child of 10 or 12. I must have been mistaken. I was getting sleepy. Why in the rain? So dark. Of course. And although I was often lonely for other company than the old man, 
could understand hindsight thought. He obviously had a great respect for a man's work, especially a work of such apparent erudition. I must not be disturbed. I might stay in my room day and night with my slide rules and my profile paper and my broken flower pot full of sharpened pencils. And I was not to be disturbed. But how many times I wished for the happy sound of my little sister Miriam's gay laughter. Found myself listening for the lilt of the little girl song that she used to sing. And that Clarissa knew too. Heinz mentioned Clarissa occasionally. I sometimes wish that I could have sent Clarissa to school, Jesse. Well, it's too bad you didn't. Mm, always there was never enough money. Why, oh, there are schools. Public schools, Heinz. No, not for Clarissa's free schools. You know, I wonder... Wonder? Well, you know, uh, children are supposed to go to school. I'm surprised that the school authorities haven't been to see about sending her. The police? Oh, no, not the police. But there are laws about schools. I mean, you might find yourself in trouble if they discover you have a daughter of school age. They will come here. Well, if they find out. Jesse, you will not tell. Well, now, look here, Heinz. Uh, you're not being fair to the child. Oh, yes, yes. No, really, I mean it. Uh, hasn't she ever been to school? Well, I, I teach her a little. Well, Heinz, uh, it's none of my business. But you're doing her a very serious harm. No, no. Listen, Jesse. You don't tell anybody about her. Well, I don't know, Heinz. If they come and ask me... Jesse, listen. I tell you something. Well? Clarissa can't go to school. Well, why not? I, I told you it doesn't cost anything. It is not that. Well, then? She's, she's not well. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, Heinz. Uh, look, uh, would you like it if I gave her a little of my time and, and taught her some of the elementary? No, no, please, don't. Well, I'd be glad to. No. Well, have it your way, Heinz. I don't mean to run too on your affairs, but after all, uh, a child... I'm sorry, Jesse. I thank you, but... No. All right. and the grand old theorems devised by the ancients. But the 
fascinating mysteries of the human mind and of human behavior are alien to me. They're my hate. And my thoughts crept further and further away from the ten numbers as doubt and speculation about the child laid hold of my mind. In the night, how often I heard her sobs, I thought, sometimes close outside my door. And yet when I opened the door, there was nothing. And old Heinz grew more and more taciturn. He never spoke of his daughter. He seemed to avoid me by day and to disappear by night. But the summer came then, and the fall, and winter. My book was going badly, and my thoughts wandered. I must leave this place, I thought, or find out this mystery. And again I asked the old man if there was not something I might do for this pathetic child, this invisible, haunting voice. No, Jesse. There is nothing you could do. But Christmas is coming, Heinz. Uh, what can I get her for Christmas? No, why not, Jesse? What? My Helene. She died on the eve of Christmas. Well, uh, but Heinz, you owe it to the child. No. But let us not speak of it again. But to me, the thought of Christmas passing by this child was unspeakable. I determined that if the old man would do nothing about it, I would. You know, I had little money, and there was so little I could do. But I did come into the town here, and I found a toy for her. I, I found one I could afford. A little woolly lamb. A little woolly white lamb with black buttons for eyes and a, a blue silk ribbon about its neck and a gay little blue flower in its mouth. I hung a little card about its neck that said, Merry Christmas to Clarissa. And on Christmas Eve, Heinz and I shared the last bottle of Ben Costler Doctor before the miserly little fire. And I gave him one of the handkerchiefs my little sister Miriam had sent me, and he gave me an old stone crude with a heavy pewter top that he said came from Heidelberg. And we regretted that there was no creamy Pilsner Urquell to drink from it. Wished each other a happy Christmas. And then, in the night, I was awakened by a tiny sound. And I lay awake silently for a moment. And there was another sound. A hesitant little footstep. And the rustling at the dresser across the room from me. And I lay quietly and listened. you, Clarissa? Is that you, Clarissa? Do you like it? Good. Happy Christmas. I'm, I'm sorry that's all I could get you, but I hope you like it.
was what had been plucking at the corners of my mind. And I was happy now that I knew she really lived. But I was not living in the midst of fantasy. I had wondered what Heinz would say. He was perfectly natural about it. It was good of you, Jesse. Good? What? To find a gift for Clarissa. Oh, <laughs> did you like it? Ah. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Uh, she asked me to say, Dankeschön to you. Well, then I say, Dankeschön. Ah, that is good. You're a kind person, Jesse. <laughs> I wish it could have been more. Oh, it is a very rich gift. Never has she had such a thing. <laughs> uh, is she going to have Christmas dinner with us, Heinz? No.
of eye, shivering for hours, straining my ears for a sound. The sound of a child's song. The sound of a father's footstep in the cold darkness. Then, it was morning, nearly morning. Gray fingers of morning plucking at the frost-rhymed windows. And I awoke to see Hines standing beside my bed. two days, he seemed to have aged twenty years. He was an old, old man. He spoke to me. Jesse, my friend. What's the matter? I know much matter, Jesse. I am dying. Why, Heinz? It is finished now, Jesse. Unless is horrible. Uh, here, uh, uh, sit down. No, no. Hear me. See the key to Clarissa's room. You take it. Oh, is she all right? Hi. Too late for me now. Go Clarissa's room. Do what is to be done. I lifted him to the bed. I bent over him. I listened for his heart. There was no sound. Heinz was dead. Yes, just as I told you before, he died. He died there in my room, yes. What? Oh, yes. In the little half-light, I found the kerosene lamp and I lit it. I took the key from the floor where he dropped it. the room very easily. It was at the far end of the hall. I called. Clarissa? Clarissa? And there was no answer. So I unlocked the door. And holding the light above my head, I walked over to the bed. And there, lying on the bed, dressed in a pinafore that might have come out of the ten-year-old drawing in Alice in Wonderland. Clutching a little woolly lamb to her breast, there lay a tiny old, old woman with long white hair braided into pigtails. Clarissa. And I knew why I hadn't heard the little song for two days. So when the lamp dropped out of my hand and the flames started licking around the dry-as-dust draperies and the fragile old oaken boards in the floor, I turned and went out of the house. Well, what else was there to do? The house had lived too long. And so had the father and daughter
was called Clarissa. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Heinz was played by Bruno Vick. Clarissa by Peggy Stanley. As usual, music for choir, please, is by Albert Berman. Now a word from our writer-director, Willis Cooper. The characters in tonight's quiet place are neither living nor dead. They enjoy neither of these interesting conditions because they're solely the invention of my own imagination intended to represent nobody at all. Quiet please for next week is called 13 and 8. And so until next week at the same time, I am quietly yours, baffling of all scientific phenomena is the phenomenon known as stigmatization, and in spite of our inability to explain it, that it has occurred even in contemporary times can hardly be disputed. More than seven centuries have passed since St. Francis of Assisi, known during his lifetime merely as Brother Francis, went into the Apennine Mountains, and with his disciples climbed out Alberno. There in a rude cell he fasted and prayed for forty days and nights. The 40th day was September 14th, 1224, and it was the day the vision came to him. The vision of a winged seraph nailed to a cross. He invited his disciples into his cell to witness it, and one of them, looking down at him, cried, This is no vision, Brother Francis. This is no dream. This is a miracle. A miracle of God. and twenty-five years is a long time. It is sufficient time for facts to be twisted and for legends to grow. But there is the written word of Pope Alexander IV that he saw evidence of the miracle with his own eyes. There is the testimony of those later men and women who underwent the same mystical experience. Benedict Arezio of Bologna and John Gray and Nicholas of Ravenna and Anna Katharina Emmerich, the peasant girl of Munster, and if anyone still remains skeptical, then we must refer him to the newspapers of July 10th, 1922. For the miracle of St. Francis is not confined to the misty past. It happened again to an ordinary young girl named Mary Riley in the ordinary American town of Peekskill, New York. There, at the home of the Sisters of the Good Shepherd, Mary Riley awoke from a deep sleep and feeling a sharp pain at her side, glanced down. Mother, it has happened to me. <laughs> was there when I awoke, Mother. I had a strange dream, and then my side hurt me, and that awakened me. And it was there. A cross of blood? Yes. Just like St. Francis, isn't it, Mother? The wounds of Christ appeared on him. I knew it is a cross of blood. But there can be no question it is the same thing. The same miracle of God. Appearance on the body of wounds, even in the form of a cross or in the pattern of Christ's own wounds. Sometimes it has occurred during a cataleptic condition, sometimes only during a heavy sleep. 
But that it has occurred cannot be doubted. Nor has its cause ever been satisfactorily explained. As far as our knowledge goes, it remains what it was in the days of St. Francis. A miracle. A miracle incredible but true. (laughs) 